favorites from chapter 1. It's verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's a good one to memorize. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And by the way, that word fear doesn't mean trembling, afraid of. It means honorable, respect, and worship of the king. That's the be- very beginning of knowledge, and I encourage you to, to get into the book of Proverbs. It's a great place. Um, now, over the next few weeks, we're starting a new series, and uh, I occasionally like to do a series on a character in the Bible. We've done Elisha and Elijah, and um, I have a friend who's sitting over here who ta- taught me how to remember which order they came in. Elisha, with an S, came after the Elijah with just the J, because it's alphabetical, right? Thank you for that, Kathy. Long time ago, you didn't realize you were running. Anyway, so, but anyway, I've done Samson. I've done, I, I've never really, I've never ever done a teaching on the character Paul. And um, so there is so much great material. Paul was absolutely, um, well, he's a pretty terrific character in the Word of God. After Jesus, he's right up there. I like, he wrote huge portion of the New Testament as letters to different churches. And uh, he was probably one of the greatest missionaries, if not the greatest missionary ever. And um, he was also one of the absolute worst terrible people ever. I mean, he was a terrorist. And uh, Jesus got a hold of his heart. He's a, an amazing character to look and see what that is. And so we're going to talk today about, um, um, and we're going to use Paul for this whole series, and we're going to figure out how to get the right size on everything all the time, okay? And we'll, you'll figure out what that means because a lot of times if you get things in the wrong size, if they just, you know, it, it, that can create all kinds of problems. If, if, you, if, if you let things that are trivial become big, that's a problem. If you let things that are unimportant become large, that's a problem. And, but if you also, if you let things that are eternal, if you let things that are really matter not take their proper place. That's a problem too. So um, the key to all that, of course, is getting things in the correct size. So that's what we're going to be talking about. I remember when I grew up as a little guy, it was a big deal to me to watch rockets blast off. Okay, We didn't call them launches. They were blast-offs. Okay? We didn't have the sophistication of calling it a launch. It was a blast-off. Anybody here? A blast-off? Okay. okay. And the thing is, growing up um, in the Pacific time zone, because I grew up in Spokane, I, 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 it was hard. Because, you know, if a, if, a, if a rocket launched at 9 in the morning on the East Coast, that's, that's picking 6.30 here. And little guys don't get up at 6.30, but I got up at 6.30 because I wanted to see rockets blast off. It was a pretty big deal to me. I mean, huge. And, I, and you know, some crazy guy was going to get himself into a ballistic missile and go for a ride, right? <laughs> There's a picture of, you know, it was just like amazing thing. And to me, this was the biggest thing possible. And I just, you know, loved it. You know, I loved the, you know, th- for some reason, all of these first launches, the Mercury, Mercury, they all had the seven on them. Like Freedom seven, Liberty Bell seven, right? Anybody of you guys remember? I'm jogging any memories here, no nerds like me. Friendship seven, Aurora seven, Sigma. I mean, they all had a seven. Well, it's because there were seven astronauts anyway, and they would all take off. And I thought the whole thing was just just amazing. It just boggled my mind. I loved it. Can you tell? Yes. I mean, and uh, then years later, Lisa and I, you know, growing up, we decided, you know, okay, we're, we were down in that part of the country for a, a, a pastor's conference and close enough to, for a day's drive to go. I had to go to Cape Canaveral. I thought, okay, this is my day. I'm going to see all these big things. It was really cool. And I'd been to a place where I'd actually stood at the back end of a Saturn V 
rocket engine. Saturn V was the big ones that, that took our um, astronauts to the moon. So I don't know if there's no guy in... Oh, you can see the guy at the bottom there. Look at how big those motors are compared to the man in the bottom. I mean, I'd seen those because I'd been in Washington, D.C. This is at the Smithsonian, I think. Those are huge rocket motors, five of them on the bottom of that thing, and that, that was enough to lift two guys to the surface of the moon. Only two guys... It took a lot of juice to get those guys up there. And, uh, but when we get there to Cape Canaveral, finally at this deal, and I'm thinking it's going to be such a big deal, here's what we found on those early U.S. space launches, the very first ones, those seven. There's a capsule. Somebody's going to get inside that and go for a ride. This is the control room. That's it. One place to sit. Oh, look who's the mission controller. <laughs> And there, the base is Lisa. See her? She's standing there. Those rockets were tiny. I thought they were some big, huge deal, but they were just not what I thought. Everything there was so small. In fact, they were so small that Lisa can actually hold a missile in the palm of her hand. (laughs) And there's a lesson about getting the right perspective on things so that you understand... The size. And when you see, but when you go a little bit further, you get to the actual shuttle launch pad, which we were, you know, they weren't being, being launched anymore by the time we got there. They were pretty big, too. They're enormous, the actual shuttle. And, and they made us kind of look like ants. That thing is huge, and you, there's nothing of scale there. And, and basically, this issue of hugeness and smallness, that's why we come to church. Because, because you know, bigger than the space shuttle launch system is the state of Florida and State of Florida, bigger than the state of Florida is the, is the United States, and bigger than the United States is the North American continent, and bigger than the North American continent is the Earth, and bigger than the Earth is the solar system, and bigger than the solar system is the galaxy, and bigger than the galaxy is the universe. And one day, our God spoke all of that into existence. Our big God. And we come to church to have an encounter with the Creator the one who is bigger than all of that and all of everything. And the scale is just, sometimes it boggles my mind. And, and it's really important for us to get um, the right size on everything. And if there's one thing that our friend the Apostle Paul God, uh, got correctly, it's this. God is big, and we are small. God's big, and we are small. And we need to really kind of be joyful about that, not, you know, be sullen about it, because... The problems that I carry through, the challenges that I face in life are also tiny compared to my big God and your big God. And the difference there is huge. And and today we're going to see how Paul learned that God is so much bigger than everything, including his religion, the religion that he walked in life. And when you bring whatever it is, your thing, to God, you'll find little guys squeak. And he's got a great Where's Waldo hat. I love that. <laughs> and when you bring that thing that's, that's in your heart that you feel like you're carrying like the weight of the world upon your shoulders, when you bring that to God too, you'll find out he's way bigger than that as well. So all of a sudden you can get things in the right size. I just want to pray. Lord, we... We're here today as an act of worship and stepping in faith towards a big God. And we are absolutely depending on the fact, Lord, that you are bigger than us and our failures and our needs and the problems we face and 
sometimes our brokenness, Lord. We're just so grateful, and we just help, ask you to help us to get the right size and all these things. Lord, I want to pray for people who today have come to you, and they're carrying with them some sort of a, a trial or a burden, or a, maybe it's a simple struggle, or maybe it's a long-standing, you know, it's perplexing, God, and it's somehow grown out of proportion. We pray, God, that you would just absolutely become really, really big in our eyes today, in Jesus' name. Now, our text, we're going to start out in Philippians chapter 3, and uh, we're going to read it. But I'm going to, in a minute, I'm going to give you an overview of who Paul was, but we'll just first read this passage, Philippians 3, verses 1 through 6. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So there's the testimony of Paul, the apostle, before his conversion to Christianity. And uh, now the apostle Paul, as a character uh, of history, is probably, you know, after Jesus, he's probably the most disputed and discussed person in the New Testament. And, and I want to say, you know, there's a lot of people who, 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 who dispute some of, the, some of these things about Paul. And I want to say right from the very get-go that um, I believe completely what scriptures say about Paul. I mean, some people dispute things about him. I, I do not. I believe that the Bible is God's word. I believe that it's, it's, it's historically accurate in every issue that it asserts. And I believe we can trust God's word. Okay, so I'm going to start right there and say, so here's a few things that we can learn about Paul from the scriptures. Um, his, his birth name was Saul with an S, and uh, he was a Jewish. He was born in Tarsus, which would be for us in uh, modern day, we would call it Turkey. And it's actually the place where, for the very first time, for those of you who are history buffs, um, Mark Antony met Cleopatra. That has nothing to do. That's a total rabbit trail, but some of you dig that kind of stuff. So he met Cleopatra, or uh, Mark Antony met Cleopatra. He was born in Tarsus, but he was actually raised in Jerusalem. And uh, there's a map for you. Jerusalem's way off to the right, and these are the maps. You can leave that up for a little while if you would, if you would Amy. These, this map just basically shows all these journeys that he took as a missionary over his lifetime. And in his day, that's a lot of traveling. He was very well traveled. He ended up way over to the, the right, the, excuse me, the left-hand side, way off to the west in uh, Rome, where he was actually eventually uh, martyred. He, of course, was a really great uh, missionary. He was a Roman citizen. Now, that's a huge deal. Citizenship, um, you know, it, it, in their culture, they had slavery. They had uh, there was classes issues, and and so being a Roman citizen brought all kinds of special privileges and rights and protections. It's a pretty big deal. But you can actually purchase your citizenship, and um, so he, he so he he probably he came from a very wealthy family. Um, he was a citizen both of Rome and of Tarsus. A lot of people were just residents, but he was an actual citizen, so he had the full rights of th- that that meant for him. And um, he was educated under a rabbi named Gamaliel. 
Now, Gamaliel was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was like the top governing of the whole arrangement there in, in their faith. And Gamaliel was known as the guy. It was like he was educated under the best authority possible. And it would be the equivalent to Harvard kind of a thing, I suppose. And so he, 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 was, he had credentials. If there were going to be letters after a guy's name, he'd have lots of letters and numbers. It would have been impressive. And, and after, um, after um, Jesus' resurrection, Paul, who had, you know, had been a Pharisee, uh, really began to vigorously persecute the church. I mean, really, he went after it. And um, in fact, there's, uh, you can read about this in, in Acts chapter 7, which is where that's the story where uh, Stephen is stoned because he will not um, deny Christ. And there's, when, they, when, they, when the leaders, it literally says they covered their ears because they couldn't stand the things Stephen was saying. And they took him out to stone him. And Paul was there. He was Saul at the time. And he actually held the coats for the people who did the stoning. It's almost like, you know, here, let me hold your coat because you'll be able to throw your rocks at this guy harder if you don't have to hold your coat. That was who he was. He was not a nice guy. He was uh, trouble. And you know, he went from house to house dragging Christians out and uh, literally helped torture and kill them. He was not a nice man. And um, his story for, for his conversion to Christianity, you can read about that in the book of Acts, you know, chapters 19, 22, 26, some later part of it. Jesus has this appearance in, um, with uh, Paul on the road to Damascus. Great story. We'll get to that over the following weeks. In our terms, if we were to describe him, we would say he was guy was a devout man. He... He, he was a student of the scriptures. He was a teacher of the scriptures. You know, how many of you would say, yeah, I like the Bible and I, I, I'm kind of a student? There should be a lot of hands right now. Okay. <laughs> Stick your hands up in the air. Okay. You're being here. You're becoming a student today. I mean, and, and we're, you know, you know he, would, he would say, I'm a, you know, and, and he was not just a Bible guy. We're going to say Bible guy because that's our vernacular. But he was also a church guy. He was, he was regularly, if the doors were open, he was in the temple. And he wasn't just an attender, he was a worker, he was applying himself, he was a tireless servant, he was a Pharisee. And so if we're going to put all of that together and describe Paul with one word, I think the word, best word to describe him would be, Paul was religious. He was a religious man. Every single formula that you could come up with to describe whether you were devoted to God Paul's name would be at the end of the equation. This guy, I mean, he just did it. Very, very faithful to God. And, and, and this word religion is an interesting word because it has, it's a, a little bit of a charged word in our culture. It's used in the New Testament about five times. Most of those times, um, well, some of them, it's not such a good word, right? Um, um, in fact, um, and I, I, don't, I don't like to say like some people do that all religious things are bad because I don't believe that. Some religious things are good. I mean, getting baptized, is a religious thing to do. And it's a good thing because Jesus commanded it, right? Remembering Jesus by receiving the cup and the bread, which we call communion, and we do, in fact, is scheduled for next week. It's a religious thing to do, and it's good because Christ commanded it. Those are good things. The problem, you know, with religion is not religious observance. It's, you know, it's not the things like coming to church. That's a religious thing to do. It's good for you to come to church, to, to not forsake the gathering, such as the habit of some. I mean, that's a religious thing to do, and it's good that you do it. 
you know, singing worship songs at the beginning, the pastor getting up and sharing the teaching of the word. Those are religious things, and they're, they're good. And, 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 and uh, the thing is this, though. When we start to add things to what Christ said to do to be saved, that's the time to turn down the rhetoric and um, you know, realize that those added things that we would do or people would have us do, do not endear us to God. They don't. You know, of the five times that um, the word gets used in the New Testament, more than half, most of the time, it's not very positive. It's in, it's in, a, it's in a negative way. You know, James, James mentions this in, in, in 126. He says, if you're religious, but you're... Okay, I'm paraphrasing. Basically, he says, if, you're, if your mouth runs off, your religion is worthless, is the word it uses. In other words, if you call yourself a believer, but you can't stop talking about people, there is something wrong with you. That's, that's what it's basically saying. So their religion isn't such a great, great thing. There's, there's a reference to it in Colossians 2, talking about the appearance of religion and self-made religion and self-made wisdom. It's like, okay. So it's not always, it's not, it's not always such a good thing when it's related to extra stuff that Jesus didn't tell us or that the Word of God doesn't tell us to do. And if you've been coming here any length of time, you know that we kind of take a stance against adding things to get saved that have nothing to do with God's word. We just do not teach that here. We don't encourage it. In fact, we discourage it. And so Paul, though, was really into that stuff. He was into it and uh, really, really into it. And, you know, religion shows up as a prescribed pattern for worship. Here's how you should be a, be a worshiper. Here's what you got to do if you're going to do it right. It's adding things to the scripture, it's, it's, it, religion shows up as, as forms or rules or things you do that are not founded in the Bible. Religion today shows up as extra things added to Scripture, things God does not require of us. That's what religion is today. And Paul, firmly called Saul, was swimming with religion. He was drowning in religion. And Jesus pulled him out. He pulled him out. And the point of this message today is that God is bigger than religion. Amen. He is way bigger than religion. Now, using our text from, um, that we just read, Philippians 3, and uh, understanding Paul's background, um, we're going to see several issues here about religion, and I'm going to go through them, one, two, three, four, five. But number one, religious leaders can't save me, but Jesus can. Amen. <laughs> And uh, that's what Paul's getting at, um, starting right off the bat in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Which, by the way, that's the main theme for the whole book of Philippians. Joy. It's a good one. Rejoice in the Lord. Um, To write these same things to you, same things, he's already told them once before, same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. That's him basically saying repetition is a good teacher. I mean, so it's, it's safe. And um, <clears throat> Paul's saying, you know, I've, I've already told you these things, and, and I'm going to say some things to you again. It's not a problem because it's safe. When I do that, that's what you should, you should be preaching in my behalf. When I repeat them for you, it's safe, 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 good. Thanks for the help. So, I mean, some of the things I'm going to tell you today... I've said before, sorry, but it's safe for you to have things repeated, um, and it's good. It's a good protection to remind me and to remind you that God is bigger than our religion. Religious leaders can't save you, and, and he goes on, he says this in verse 2, 
Look out for the dogs. <laughs> He's not talking to us here about pit bulls. He's not. This is a this is a pejorative. This is a derogatory term. I mean, in our day today, for a spiritual leader to stand up and start calling people dogs would be, you know, it's not very PC. It seems, you know, it's it's in, in our day of tolerance, this is not very popular. But he's talking about anyone whose teaching distorts the gospel. And he calls them dogs. <laughs> Watch out for dogs! And he's not saying if. He's suggesting you will encounter, it's going to happen, these, these people, these dogs are present. And he's not pulling his punch here. He calls them dogs. And that's a really, really good word of exhortation to the congregation in Philippi. You know, watch out for the dogs. Now, in our carefully parsed society and carefully worded, we might say it more gently. You know, be careful that you don't fall for false teaching. Be, be careful that you don't fall under false philosophies or false culture. That's what he's saying. He's saying, be careful that you check everything that you're told about how you should think and believe against God's word. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, and this is the gospel. This is the gospel about which we should be measuring how to get saved. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word. Verse 3. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. Amen? Amen. That's it. That's plainly and clearly stated. So, okay, Jesus died. So how do I, you know, how do I get this? How do I receive this? How do I get saved? What's, what's the deal? Romans ten thirteen says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls, saved from what? Well, directly put, we're saved from our sin. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What do you get for what we've done? We get death. Every person on your street, every person at your school, or every person at your office, they're getting death. For their sins. It's physical death, it's spiritual death, it's separation from God and in eternity and a terrible place. That's where everybody's going. Jesus said, it's a broad road and many are on it. But some people get saved. Some people get saved from their sin. How does that happen? 2 Corinthians 5 says this, it describes the gospel. It says, For he made him who knew no sin. For God made Jesus. He's the one who knew no sin. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. Let me give that to you one more time. The number of pronouns in there can kind of slow us down. I'll help you with the pronouns. For God made Jesus, the one who knew no sin, to be sin in our behalf that we might become the, the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what that passage is saying. And that's, good. that's the good news of the gospel. You know, the, the, 
preachers like to use these big fancy words like substitutionary atonement. And that substitutionary atonement, what those two words mean is somebody, we swap places, substitution, right? Just like in a soccer game or you substitute. And atonement means there's a debt that you owe and you can't pay it. So it's basically saying, you know, you have a debt you owe that you can't pay and Jesus pays that debt for you. It's Jesus in our place. And, 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 and it's okay, so where do we take this? Well, you hear this from me almost every week. I mean, it's one of my favorite passages to quote, scriptures to quote, Romans 10, 9. And, and it basically, it, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. <laughs> it's that simple. Listen, do that right now. If you have never done that before, do it right now. Don't wait for the end of the service. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. Right now. Just do it. <laughs> you know, and Paul, Paul you know, that's, that's the scripture, the gospel. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. No adding anything to that. And Paul warns, beware of dogs. He's talking about people whose teaching distorts the gospel. You know, who, who does he have in mind? People who add to the gospel. What do people add? Well, some people add religious duty, um, but here's what scripture says about that. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anybody should boast. You know, some people will say, well, you, you, you got you to go to church. You got to read your Bible. You got to sing in the, you know, you got to whatever, you know. They, they add religious duty to the gospel. Those people are dogs, <laughs> according to scripture. They are. I've been a dog before. I bet a lot of you have. <laughs> Ooh, admitted it. <laughs> dog. I'm not one today. Mm. <laughs> Did I hear the word cat? I see that Paul drew the line at getting that low. <laughs> Paul is saying, don't add things to the gospel, you dog. <laughs> Some people add religious duty. Some people add moral action. Um, you know, you can't get saved until you stop living with that lady you're shacking up with. If you add moral action to the gospel, according to God, you're a dog. Stop adding to the gospel. I'm not saying that you're doing that. But we don't want to tolerate people adding things. You know, people saying, you got to quit smoking to get saved. Listen, I, smoking will just, smoking will just um, affect your life in a lot of negative ways. Um, and I hope you'll quit smoking. But anybody who tells you you have to quit smoking to get saved is a dog. You don't. You don't. don't add, we don't want to add things to the gospel. We don't want to add religious duty. We don't want to add moral responsibility. Listen, if, if, if you call Christ Lord and you're shacking up with somebody, I hope you will do the right thing. Marry that girl. Put a ring on her finger and marry her. But if anybody tells you you have to do that before you get saved, they're a dog because you don't. You don't. 
Paul adds another term to this. Um, he says, okay, verse 2, beware of dogs. Then he says, beware of evildoers. Some translations say evil workers. Look out for evil workers, evildoers. That means do-gooders, okay? I mean, it means, um, I mean it's hard to accept that um, salvation is a gift. It's hard. I mean, and, and it's hard to accept sometimes that we really need it. A lot of people think, you know, I, 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 think, I think I'm going to be okay. I think I'm a good enough person. Actually, Isaiah 64 talks about that, and it says our righteousness is the same as filthy rags. And it's, it's not that good. It, and our attempts, here's the thing, our attempts to attain God's favor without the partnership of Christ is the thing God hates worse than anything else. You will not find anything in the Word of God that God hates worse than that. You know, a lot of people are thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good enough, you know, I'm good enough, God will, God will, it'll be okay. Meanwhile, God gave up his precious son to actually pay your price. And people think, you know, I, I don't really need that. That's, that's probably fine for my neighbors. I see how they live. But I'll be okay. And um, actually, I'm pretty awesome. And God's going to really be happy to have me up there with him. That's the thinking of an evildoer. That's the thinking of the evil worker that's mentioned in this passage. Paul goes on. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. He says, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. This is not talking about tattoos and piercings. That's not what this is. Okay? In in case you have concern that that's where I'm going with this, that is not what this is about. The deal was... um, in the Old Testament times, it, there would be sometimes they'd be surrounded by Gentiles, non-Jewish people who would want to convert to Judaism and, and be a part of that faith. And um, there was this um, expectation: Yeah, you want to get, you want to become, you want to become a, a part of the, this and be a Jew. You can do that. You know, there's just that's great, dude. We'll help you out with that. Um, there's this one little surgical procedure, and I've been practicing. I think I can do it. You know, so <laughs> it was. It was you had to be pretty serious and pretty seriously committed to convert, I think, and you know, and, and, and that's what they required. And so when Jesus came along and people understood God in his heart and his ways and what the salvation was a gift, people wanted to get saved. And um, so there were some Jew, Jewish people who got saved, of course, and they brought that thinking along with them. So they would say to people, Hey, you're a Gentile, you want to become saved, you can be saved. But first, you got to have this little, you know, glad to help you. I got some sis with SNP or whatever. I'm so sorry I went there just now. <laughs> Those are what he's talking about, mutilators of the flesh. And the reason that that's so offensive, that God put it in his word, is because these people were suggesting that there were some physical requirements that would somehow endear you to God. If you did certain physical things, here's the thing about that. God, God is into circumcision. He is. But it's a different kind of circumcision. The circumcision that God does to his children is to our hearts. It's a work in our heart. It's a soul cutting. It's a, it's, when God starts doing a surgery on your heart, you know when God's doing a circumcision. And a lot of us here know exactly. You, you know what I'm talking about. I can see you going, yeah, I've been there. And, um, you know, Paul is teaching here that if, you, if you're trying to promote religion without relationship, you're a dog. 
He, he's, he's, he's trying to point out that, you know, if you promote the externals and not the heart, he, that's, that's an evil evildoer. If you're trying to promote some sort of physical ways of attaining, you know, of attaching yourself to God, that's, you know, and, and, instead of the heart and, and the work that God wants to do in your heart, that, you're a flesh mutilator. And um, with all respect to other leaders, other spiritual leaders, I don't care who you have heard about some religious ceremony from. Pastor, so-and-so, father, so-and-so, sister, so-and-so, bishop, so-and-so, whatever title they go by. By the way, if you hear from people who are really, really into their titles, that always scares me. Just personal commentary. Be careful of people who are really into their titles. If I can have my own title, it's this. I want to be Supreme Astronaut. Could you call me that? (laughs) That's really my choice. (laughs) And I mean it. (laughs) I don't know why. Oh, my. You somehow, you raised this warped young man. Um, so, <laughs> so if you want to be saved, if you want to have life in Christ that changes you now and for eternity, number one, religious leaders can't save you, but Jesus can. Then number two, good behavior can't save me, but Jesus can. He goes on in verse three. For we are the circumcision, that's the mark that God puts upon his kids, he puts it right on our hearts. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Here we go. He says, I have more. And if you want to talk confidence, if you want to talk about religious resumes, if you want to compare notes... You know, you want to talk about being awesome, <laughs> you know, religious observance, good works, I'm your man. This guy was confident. Are you confident like that? You know, if anybody has reason for confidence in the flesh, if self-salvation was possible, he's saying, it's me that will get there from here. But what he's actually saying is this, you can't save yourself. Nobody can. And here's the scary thing that just moves me. The people around us, the people at work, the people on your street, the people maybe you're friends with, they don't get that. They don't understand that. They really don't understand that it's by grace that we're saved. They, they, they don't understand that, that, that God gives it as a way, a way as a gift. They don't really understand that there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved but Christ. They don't understand it. People around us, they, they, they just flat out don't know that their good behavior won't save us. And here's the scary thing. Hell is going to be full of self-righteous people. Good behavior can't save me, but Jesus can. Number three, my family can't save me, but Jesus can. He keeps going. <laughs> Verse four, if anyone else thinks he has reason or confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, here come four things that he lists as his credentials. All of them, he didn't earn. These are factors in his life because of birth. Okay, circumcised on the eighth day. He didn't decide at age eight days. And he was circumcised on the eighth day. 
He wasn't just circumcised. Not the seventh day, which is too early. Not the ninth day, because that's too late. The eighth day, God's word, he was there on time, perfectly, right down the lanes. It was a perfect landing. He's, you know, he's perfect landing. And, and you know, he's saying, he says, I, I have this by my birth. Which, by the way, is a huge problem today. There is, there is, you know, there's, there, nobody is a Christian because of where they were born. Doesn't make anybody a Christian. And, um, you know, he keeps going on. He says, of the people of Israel. Do you remember your Old Testament, you know, history? The, the father of the nation of Israel is Abraham, right? Okay. But he's not saying, you know, I'm of the people of Abraham because, because Abraham had multiple sons, you know, he had, um, you know, and, 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 and so Ishmael could, I, I could be an Ishmael, but he's not. He didn't say, um, he didn't say I'm from Isaac because, you know, there was Jacob and Isaac, you know, he could be an, he could be an Edomite if he was from Isaac. So he's, he's not, he's saying, I'm from Jacob. No, he, he's, he's from, the, from the people of Israel. And you might remember, um, you know, of the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, so there's 12 tribes, 12, you know, and um, so some of them were born by Leah, the wife that he didn't want. And two of them were born by Rachel, the wife he did want, right? And Benjamin is one of those. In fact, um, he's, he's, he's born of Benjamin, and he's of the tribe of Benjamin, and Benjamin was like the favored youngest baby son. In fact, when it came time to pass out to allocate the promised land, he got the area that's today presently Jerusalem, including the Temple Mount. This, he is giving you his credentials here, okay? He, he's saying, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, this is a Jewish person who actually spoke Hebrew, which wasn't common in that day. He's saying, you know, I got blue blood in me, and it's trained and educated, and, you know, this goes way back with my family. He's saying, he's telling us, you know, he's basically telling us that it doesn't matter how much my father loved God, how much my grandfather, how much my great, it doesn't matter how much these people, that didn't save me. And it won't save you either. And some people, you know, I, I know I've talked to people and they say, well, you know, I'm not doing all that good with Jesus, but my wife loves him a lot. Or, you know, I'm kind of struggling with this right now, but you know, my grandfather was a pastor. I hear that out there when I'm meeting with people in the world. And I, I hear that kind of stuff. And they say, hey, what are you doing? Da, 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 and I ask them about God. And they say, well, you know... Yeah, me and the big man, we're not doing all that good right now, but my great-grandfather was... I hear that. Here's what that's worth to God. Exactly that. It is. I mean, it's helpful in a human way, and I think um, it's, it's really... We should be grateful when the upbringing that we have is righteous and godly and healthy, because many people don't have that. We should be thankful when that's... You know, but those things... Don't help you spiritually. Um, you know, when I was a high school senior, I mentioned this before, I, I went out of respect to my parents. Would you come to church with us on, it's Easter. Yeah, okay, senior, absolutely terrible cocky young man. Prideful, arrogant, put it in a test tube and prove it, or I just can't accept, just, you know, not very fun to raise. And I'm sorry about that. Look at her being gracious to me right now. I don't know who this woman is. She's, 
Um, and the pastor preached. I have no idea what he preached. But all I heard that day was the gospel. I have no idea what the sermon was. But all I heard was the gospel. You're lost. You're going to hell. You can't fix it. But God loves you so much. It's as if here's the entrance to hell and Jesus is standing in front of it and saying, don't go past me. Don't. Stop right here in these arms. <clears throat> and I don't know what was going on else in that service except I, I found myself going forward and kneeling at that altar and saying, I, I'm, I'm broken, lost. I need God. I need a Savior. I confess it. And God took hold of my heart that day. And I'm telling you, I never looked back. I'm not saying I didn't struggle at times, but God got a grip on my heart and he has never let go. Faithful God. There's a scripture that says, you know, those whom the Father has trusted into Jesus, I'm paraphrasing here, has trusted into his hands. No one's going to get those out of my hand. Anyway, and I'm safely in there. But here's the thing that I had to come to at that point in my own way. Religious leaders didn't do it for me. And that was a great pastor in that church. Great teacher. Good behavior didn't get me there. <laughs> there wasn't all that much of it. <laughs> My family all loved the Lord. They were all saved at that point, but that didn't get me there. Another one that didn't get me there was number four. My knowledge can't save me, but Jesus can. Notice in the text, he goes on to say, as to the law of Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were like, they were like religious wild men, zealots. They considered themselves to be the most faithful among the most faithful. And, you know, they were very legalistic, very harsh in their judgments of other people, especially if you had any variance towards their doctrine and their beliefs. I mean, they would be, and by the time, you know, Paul shows up on the scene, they're, they're going around, the Pharisees are going around and they're killing Christians, you know. They got no legal authority to do that, but nothing's going to stop their zeal. And, and, and this is all based on them feeling like they had this superior knowledge of Scripture. Well, I know God's Word better than any of you, so this, I'm justified and this is the right thing. And today, a lot of people have a pretty big head sometimes about the Word of God. They got a lot of the Word of God in them, and it's really good. I love it too. But, you know, it's one thing to love God's Word, but it's another thing to believe that God's Word having God's word in your heart, it will make you more endearing to God. Study God's word and study it carefully. You'll find out that it does not do that. And here's the thing about God's word. You, know, you will know that you are leaning too hard on God's word if you know God's word, but you're not a loving person. You know, you know the Bible, but you're not a loving person. You, know, you can say whatever you want to about your Bible knowledge, but if you can't love people, if you can't, if you can't react past even your discomfort in an effort somehow to embrace, um, Jesus said, the way the world will know that you are my disciples is the way that you love one another. And, you know, how we love each other is what's really on the line here. It's, it's when it comes down to, if we're not loving people, if, if we're not more loving people because of what Christ has done in our lives, there's something broken, something wrong. We need to be growing in our love. And I, I think that is the truest test of a genuine conversion. If you are genuinely saved, there will be growing love in your heart. So you know you're leaning too hard on your learning when you know the word but you're not loving. And two, when nothing is minor to you. 
you know, when nothing's minor, when everything is a war, it's a major thing, when every issue is a fight to the death, <laughs> you know, okay, there's something wrong with you when it's like that. I mean, there's, you're, your head is cracked or something, you know. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Okay, so uh, when, when nothing is minor, and then you're leaning too hard in your learning when you freak out when people believe differently from you, you know. Somebody says to you, well, I, I really believe that the Bible has errors in it. Or they say, well, I don't believe that Jesus is the only way. Or they say, oh, I don't really believe in that there's really a place called hell. And you freak out. By the way, let me be clear. I do believe that the Bible does not have errors. I do believe that Jesus is the only way. And I do believe that hell is real. Just so that you know that I'm not giving those examples that try to soften the soil. No, I'm on those things. But if the person that's saying that to you is not your pastor then go take a chill pill. <laughs> Settle down, you know. If they're not your, really your close friend, someone that the Lord has put you into their life at an intimate level to build each other and to grow, it's really not your responsibility. We are not called to be the Bible police of the world running around trying to find every error in every person everywhere all the time. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> So you're leaning too hard in your learning, and uh, if that's going on and you're running to find errors, that's just not a good sign for what's going on in your heart with the Lord. So my knowledge can't save me, but Jesus can. Then the last one is this. My passion can't save me, but Jesus can. As to the law of Pharisee, verse 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And for some people, their point of pride isn't light. Their point of pride is heat. You know, Paul was like that, Galatians. He's talking about himself in Galatians 1. He's not bragging, but it sure comes across. Uh, Galatians 1, 14, he says, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own, my own age among my people. Oh. <laughs> I was really something. He's going on. You know, you know, hey, like you were a freshman playing varsity. Wow, good for you. You're, you're the man. <laughs> True freshman quarterback, you know, whatever. He goes on, so extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. He's confessing here. He's basically confessing, I was pretty messed up. I was so into all these points of pride. He needed to see that his God was bigger than all of it. So Paul is saying, you know, Paul has these, he's saying these big things in my life, things that he had committed himself to, religious leaders, but that had to go. Good behavior, I thought I could be a good person, but that didn't work. I get to heaven because my family knew God. No, not so much. I studied the Bible, and I know so much about it, but that had to go too. And passion, he's really got zeal and passion, but that's not enough either. So here's the bottom line question. We're just done here, and we're going to go eat donuts. (laughs) If you were to die right now, and you were standing at the gates... And God was there, and he asked you the question, why should I let you into heaven? Your answer needs to be, you shouldn't. I got nothing, only Christ. I'm, I, I, I'm not smart enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not connected enough. I'm not good enough. I, I don't have anything but I have a Savior, and He is enough.
Philippians 3, verses 7 to 11. Here's Paul talking about this, and I hope this comes into focus for you if you've read this before. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. This guy with all these credentials, all these accomplishments, all this zeal, all this faithfulness, rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. And that is good news. Our God, our salvation is bigger than our religion. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for knowing we would need such a prolific and graphic example that all of these other things are vain in saving us, that there is nothing that can save us under heaven but Christ, and that salvation is a gift we can't earn, and it's available to everyone who would receive it, the free gift of God. Lord, I pray for people who need to hear this news and need to respond to you now that they will not wait until after a couple of hours or tomorrow or next week or until disaster strikes them or until they look death eye to eye. But instead, the Lord, they might respond to you today out of the tenderness of their hearts. I pray these things in Jesus' name.